welcome to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast, brought to you by Asfalis Advisors and the Disaster Recovery Journal. Crisis management in today's world is ever-changing, and this podcast is our commitment to you to help you navigate successful outcomes for any crisis you may face. I am your host, Vanessa Matthews. I specialize in providing insights and solutions for crisis continuity and resilience across industries, from real estate and healthcare to terrorism in the airline and transportation worlds. No matter what industry you're in, this podcast will provide you the tools to build resilience in your organization. So welcome back to another episode of Business Resilience Decoded. Today, we're going to be talking with Brian Kirk. He is a director of cybersecurity with Elliott Davis, and his focus today will be on understanding ransomware. But before we get started, I wanted to share a few resilience resources and reminders with you. The Disaster Recovery Journal hosts a new webinar every Wednesday, so please be sure to register at the link provided in our show notes. From an Asphalus News, The Road to Resilience, as well as all of our upcoming public speaking engagements can be found on our website, asphalusadvisors.com slash public speaking. And lastly, if you enjoy our podcast, please leave us a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. This helps more listeners to find us and let us know that you're getting value from today's episodes. So, all right, let's jump right in. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Vanessa. Really happy to be here. Awesome. So I guess just so our listeners are a little bit more familiar with you, where are you from? Where are you at now? And uh, how did you get into the field of cybersecurity? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I live in Greenville, South Carolina, and I have some experience in cybersecurity. So I've been in the information technology world for 29 years now. And so I started really with a background in infrastructure. I majored in IT uh, in college, and I started with a background in, in network and infrastructure, and then had security layered on back when security wasn't quite as big as it is today. So that was an added responsibility for a few years. And then uh, I was part of a Fortune 500 organization where I founded their information security program and uh, was able to become a chief information security officer from there. So I've been in consulting for a little over three years now, and that's just a new different world and an opportunity to help a lot more people. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Uh, very robust background. And yeah, I was talking to another technology expert or specialist the other day, and he said, I've been out of the field for, for 10 years, but in the world of cybersecurity, that's a really, really long time. <laughs> that is a long time. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and I get questions from people all the time saying, hey, how can I get into cybersecurity? And you know, if you have an interest in overall IT, there's nothing wrong with actually starting your cybersecurity uh, journey in a specialized firm, whether it's programming or infrastructure or even desktop support. You know, that's a good way to understand a lot of the systems that you're going to protect and you're going to evaluate. And so definitely, you know, sometimes jump in directly into security without a background and some of the technologies that you may be asked to assess is, is a little bit more difficult. So you know, from a from a security perspective, there's nothing wrong with starting your career in just an overall um, IT background. So a few weeks back, uh, we had a chance to listen in to you and your team do a great presentation about uh, ransomware and, you know, how to keep up with that, really understanding what, you know, what it is and, you know, what you're seeing in the marketplace for how people are responding uh, if they're hit with that type of an event. So I wanted to start and, you know, some events are highly publicized and some are not, especially those that don't necessarily impact larger corp corporations. So I wanted to get your thoughts on first, if you can share with us 
um, some of those lesser known events that have impacted what I would consider to be a small business, something less than 100 employees, um, and what you've seen that might be a little bit different than what you're seeing in the corporate arena. Sure. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, from a small business perspective, I don't think anybody's really hearing about the attacks that are occurring against most of those organizations because they're not going to make the news. And even if they were to make the news, they're really not going to be sharing a lot of the incidents that occur in their environments. But, you know, we, we've had, a, you know, consulted with a local doctor's office, you know, just not too far from me that uh, with just about 10 employees and, you know, they suffered a pretty significant ransomware attack. They were they were doing some backups, Vanessa, but they were somewhat irregular. And what they found when they got hit with the ransomware was that they really needed some of the information in, in more real time. So they were kind of maybe doing monthly backups and, you know, they were several weeks out. And so unfortunately that resulted in a ransomware payment where they felt like they were in a position in order to serve their clients where they actually had to pay the ransom in order to be able to get their information back. So they exhausted all of the activities that they could in order to be able to recover the information. One of the things that was interesting about that small small business was they didn't have any dedicated IT people and the ransomware attackers were kind enough to provide a help desk uh, number for them to contact uh, to help them do the restore after they paid their Bitcoin. So that's the thing to just remember with a lot of these entities, they're actually like business entities where they actually have help desk support lines and can can assist firms with uh, with getting their files back after they've paid their ransom. So I don't know if you've ever heard that. Okay, wait, because my face is like, what? <laughs> okay, so let me get this straight. So did did the client accept the help desk or did they come to you for the help desk? Like I no, they I mean, really, you know, we got to a point from a consulting standpoint, you know, we 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 looked at it with them and determined that the encryption that was in use was not breakable. So you know, they had the choice to restore or negotiate. And at that point, we kind of move our out of the out of the realm. It's kind of up to them. And so the, the client went directly to the attackers, paid the ransom and and actually got support from the attackers to be able to restore their files. Like I am in awe. <laughs> <laughs> True story. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, you know, they want they want to make sure you get your data back, right? They want a good reputation. So <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry, but I just can't believe this. All right. Do you have another example? Because I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I have a, a slightly better story. So a repair facility that we're uh, familiar with, they they suffered a, a ransomware attack on a weekend. And fortunately, they had taken some additional precautions from a backup perspective where they had what's referred to as an offline backup where the backup was not accessible by the attackers didn't you know the attackers got some privileged credentials on their network uh, but they attempted to use those to access some of the backup nas storage devices that they had some of their backups on and they were unable to do so so while that that organization was hit on a friday because they had real world fast backups they were able to get all of their systems back online uh, within two days and so when their employees came back to work on monday and they have about 80 employees, they were they were all able to, to log in and get to work in an efficient manner just because they had done a good job from a backup perspective. So the one issue that they had was they did not have what we would like to refer to as a good audit log to be able to go back and look at exactly what had happened. So they had to really kind of do a big 
overall assessment to figure out what the most likely attack vectors were to be able to button those down. So we do like to emphasize with entities to have some audit logs and have those stored in a, a separate site, offsite, maybe for six months or something like that, so that you can go back and actually see forensically what happened in an incident and therefore prevent it from happening again. So that was the one concern. This, this organization was able to restore, get back to business. Uh, however, there was some concern about actually how the attack occurred because they didn't have really good logs. Wow. So I'll get into lessons learned in a second, but Brian, I guess, what are some differences that you're seeing with small business level of preparedness versus some of your large corporate clients? So I think from a small business perspective, one of the things we see, Vanessa, is they place a lot of trust in their managed service provider and which, which is not, there's not, there's some really good managed service providers out there. So that may be warranted in a lot of cases, but we really like to emphasize to even small businesses that you really aren't outsourcing the risk and your managed service provider may be doing a phenomenal job of keeping your systems running and up to date, but they may feel like the security of some of those things is not necessarily their responsibility. So it's just really important for small business owners to review their contracts and have just a, a real heart-to-heart discussion with their managed service provider to understand exactly what's covered, how things would be recovered in the event of an incident. If you're paying for specific service, maybe it's an extra service that you could get to get an offline backup or to get some type of redundancy. And maybe it's been offered to you in the past by that managed service provider and you turned it down and you forgot. So you really just need to take responsibility for having the discussions with whoever's providing your IT support and make sure that you're not exposed. No, I was talking to a small business owner. He probably was a, leading a $40 million company, less than 50 employees. And I asked him about cybersecurity and he said, well, we don't store any credit card data. So there is no need for me to invest in cyber. And I said, well, there's 20 computers over there on your shop floor. <laughs> What's in the computer? Well, that's what my team uses to provide our clients our services. Okay, so what does that mean? That means that there's data there. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily, right, if you're holding credit card information, but what's the data that's critical to your business that people may want to get hands on that? What do you think about that, Brian? Well, I mean, I think that's a good question to ask. And so there, there's another piece of that too, Vanessa, is, well, if all 20 of those systems were taken out at the same time, how much productivity are you going to lose and can you put a dollar figure on the loss of production if it takes you three days to get all of your systems back online? Because that's something that you need to think about. So we do have some manufacturers. We have talked to a number of entities, Vanessa, who say, I don't have any sensitive information. They can have it, right? Well, everything I got is public. But then when you start to talk to them about operational impact, well, what's it like for your business to be offline for, for three days or for a week? Then it starts to, to, to become a different question of like, how much does that cost? And therefore, does it justify maybe a little bit more uh, investment in protection mechanisms? Yeah, that's a lot. Um, So thinking about lessons learned and, uh, you know, what are some of the things that you and your team have picked up from those couple of examples that you all provided with us? So one thing that really everybody can afford is an incident response plan. So you can get a template for an incident response plan off of the Internet. You can find plenty of examples from educational institutions that are out there, but every company needs to understand and have a good plan. What's going to happen in the event we have some type of cybersecurity problem? And so, you know, the famous quote from the FBI director a few years back was there's two types of companies, those that have been hacked and those that will be. 
So you need to be prepared if your moment does come. And so proper planning, making sure that you have the right number numbers of people to call and contact so that you're not scrambling in the event and even doing some exercises as far as practicing if there's a some type of incident just to kind of know how you're going to react. You're always going to be more prepared if you have some time to think things through than in the moment. So we've had some real big issues with organizations that just didn't know what to do, who to call, what, you know, what type, would they negotiate? Is it a hard no on the ransom? If you know all those things in advance, you can get to work on some other things. So that's one, the backup thing that I just mentioned, having offsite backups. So not backups copied to another location that are on the network. That's just not going to be enough because the attackers, if they're on your network and the backup is logically connected, they're going to be able to get to that too. So you have to have something maybe on site with different credentials or copied to the cloud. Uh, some people are still doing tapes. I know an organization that just bought tapes. You know, you would think tape technology is dead, but having something offline just helps people sleep better at night and rightfully so. And then, you know, the other thing to just consider is insurance. So, you know, having a cybersecurity insurance plan, if, uh, if you have a significant risk that's out there, that could really help you. They also, in an incident, if you have an insurance provider, a lot of the insurance providers have firms that they can bring to help you uh, with disaster recovery and things of that nature to get you back online as part of your policy. So going back to the insurance, another thing that I have personally learned as a business owner is when your customers um, place cybersecurity requirements on you, I believe it's also important for you all to communicate that down your value chain as well. That's um, right. If we're held accountable for anything from a contractual perspective, we also re we also require that same level of um, insurance requirements or you know what have you from the folks that we partner with. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. that's um, a smart thing to do. You got to look at your supply chain. <laughs> well, and that's another thing, right? So you know you're talking about businesses that are 100 employees or less. Most small businesses really, they they employ the largest number of people in our society. That's exactly right. So it's critical and they are so critical to the supply chain and they are many of your Fortune 500s. They make up your supply chain. Yep. So for those of us in the risk and resiliency space and even our disaster recovery colleagues, the things that Brian is talking about, these may be some additional opportunities for you to go back to those vendor risk assessments and think about not only what are we asking them to do, but also are there any opportunities inside of your company to help professionally develop some of those suppliers to reduce your risk within the supply chain? I was looking at healthcare a few years back and this data may have changed, but um, a data point shared that uh, most of the risk in healthcare companies come from your vendors. That's right. So if that's Absolutely. the way in the door and we're unprepared, what do you yep. think is going to happen? That's right. Absolutely. No, it's very important to pay attention to the supply chain. And, you know, I, I don't know how up to date that statistic was, but, the, you know, most recent statistics I saw were that 50% of cyber attacks occur against small businesses. So a lot of people out there think that they're, they're obscure, they're not a big name Fortune 500 company, and therefore attackers won't find them. But just understand that most of the attacks are crimes of opportunity. And so, you know, that's why such a large percentage of the attacks are against small businesses. So security by obscurity is, is generally uh, not something that you want to embrace because, unfortunately, the attackers do a good job of finding those people that maybe aren't up to speed from a security standpoint. Well, Brian, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Thank you.
You're very welcome. Thanks for asking me to join and uh, really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast brought to you by Asfalis Advisors and Disaster Recovery Journal. Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode to see all the upcoming events, programs, and ways we can support you. Make sure you subscribe to show wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a review, and share it with a friend. Thanks again, and we'll see you at the next episode.